Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com.
Shine in the shadow You will 
the leader was a very simple game that we played when we were little kids in the playground, um, especially when we were really small. Follow the leader was super simple. It was just finding somebody who was going to be the leader, and then you just followed them around and did whatever they would do. And so you had the leader that would maybe climb up the slide and then slide down the slide. And so we would all climb up the slide and slide down the slide. And then maybe that leader would make their way around the playground, and they'd get over to that big giant concrete cylinder that we all had in our playgrounds. Maybe it was colored some very bright color just to make it look special to us, but we all had that big concrete cylinder and maybe they would run through it like it was a tunnel and then we would all run through it like it was a tunnel together. And just as a side note, that big concrete cylinder that you had in your playground, it was a piece of sewer pipe. Let's be honest with what it is. So we were actually being taught as children to run through the sewers. I'm just, I don't think about it later on. Not right now, but follow the leader. Pretty harmless, pretty tame, and we we weren't ready to tackle anything that was too difficult or too dangerous. But then a little later on, at least in my life, we continued to play follow the leader, but we played it a little differently in my neighborhood. At that point, we were all riding bikes instead of running around the playground. And so follow the leader was about following the leader through the most dangerous things that the leader could think to do. Follow the leader would now include jumping off of curbs and jumping over sewer drains and uh, jumping over manhole covers and going no-handed down the middle of the road and power sliding into a puddle and riding your bike through a neighbor's yard that you knew was a particularly grumpy neighbor that you were sure that neighbor was going to be out when you led all of these kids through the middle of their yard. And, and, and the whole idea was, could you do something that would cause people to have to drop out because they weren't willing to do the dangerous thing that you were doing, but nobody wanted to drop out. Now, follow the leader may have been fun, but really the point of follow the leader was to do whatever it was that the leader did. No matter how difficult, 
no matter how dangerous. So we're in this series that's all about following. And in truth, it's about following our leader, and our leader is Jesus. And if we're really going to follow Jesus, it also means that there are going to be things that we do and stuff that we participate in where we are following him and we are following him in the midst of some very difficult and dangerous activity. And today we're going to talk about something that we follow Jesus in and yet it doesn't seem all that dangerous at first glance. Last week we we talked about this thing that we're doing right now. Last week we talked about worship as worship pertains to this hour that we spend in this place, in this room, with these people. It's all about the worship that we do during this one hour, but that's just part of following, and it's just part of worship. Because beyond that moment that we're spending right now that is a collective time, it's a corporate time, it's an all-together time of worship, there's also following him into personal and individual times of worship. We call those things like quiet times or times with God, and and that all seems pretty harmless, right? But is it? And there were moments when, when Jesus would participate in these personal times of worship to God. Times when Jesus would get away and he would go away for a time to spend by himself in the mountains or to spend by himself in the wilderness. And what would follow some of those times was pretty dangerous. Jesus went away and spent time by himself with just he and the Father in a moment right before he selected the twelve the 12 that he would lean into, the 12 that would be with him through his entire ministry, the 12 that he would hand off the reins to in terms of getting the church started and helping the church spread around the world. And Jesus went to spend some quiet time, some personal worship time with God before he walked into Jerusalem for the very last time before the crucifixion. And Jesus spent some personal worship time with the Father right after he had taught 5,000 people and fed them with five loaves and two fish. And that same time that he went away to spend with the Father was right before he walked on the water. There were moments that Jesus went away and he spent time in personal, individual worship to the Father and it was in one of those times that we're told that he was visited by Satan and He was tempted on three different occasions by Satan. We're told about another one of those times that he spent in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he was in the Garden, it was such an intense time of personal worship to God that he sweat blood off his forehead. Now, that doesn't mean that every time that we go into personal times of worship and every time that we spend with God apart from this moment on Sunday morning needs to be blood, sweat, and tears, but there are times when this thing that we're to do alone with Jesus, this worship time that we spend with Jesus happens at difficult and dangerous moments of life. For instance, 
There's two very different moments that occur in the Gospel of Luke. Two very distinctly personal, individual times of worship spent with Jesus that look very different from one another, that happen in completely different settings and completely different dangerous settings, and yet also share a lot of similarity in in what that personal worship of Jesus entails. One of them shows up in Luke chapter seven. So if you've got your Bible with you, whether it's on a phone or a tablet or you've actually got a Bible with you in your hand, I'd encourage you just to open to Luke chapter seven. And in Luke chapter seven, starting in verse 36, here's the story that we read. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, that's important, we'll get to that in a moment, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. See, she wasn't supposed to be there. She wasn't invited to the dinner that night. And she was not only disruptive just by her presence in the room, but she was also disruptive through her actions. But we'll get to that. If you have your Bible open in Luke chapter seven, if you'll just flip over a couple of pages or slide your screen, a couple of screens, you'll get to Luke chapter 10, where another personal moment of worship takes place. This one happens in the village of Bethany and and shows up in verse 38 of Luke chapter 10, and it says this. Let me back up a screen if I can. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made and she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Two very separate moments of personal worship with Jesus. Just between the worshiper and Jesus, really nobody else mattered in those moments. They were handled very differently. They were two very different, dangerous settings, and yet both of those moments share similarities. For instance, in both settings, both of these worshipers had their full attention on Jesus. See, neither of these moments that happened happened by accident. There was 
not only attention given to Jesus, but there was intention to the moment that they were in. The meal that happened at the house of the Pharisee, the woman who walked into the dinner didn't accidentally walk into the wrong house. She wasn't just making her way down the street and then took a wrong turn and was suddenly in the courtyard of this Pharisee's house. She didn't accidentally stumble upon Jesus. She knew that he was there. She knew that he was just a few houses down from where she lived, that that he, the one who had told her about things that she never thought possible before, the one who looked at her in the crowd in, in ways that just, made her understand there was something different about him. She knew that he was there. And she knew that walking into that house was going to mean embarrassment, that it would be difficult, that it might even be dangerous to walk into a home and have all of those eyes on her. But the only one that she was focused on that night, the only one who had her eye, was Jesus. In that moment, he had her full attention. Mary seemed to be the same way. She seemed to be, in that moment, completely focused on Jesus. Now, Martha wanted her to do other things. Martha had other things for her to do, but Mary was focused, locked in on Jesus. When my kids were younger, we used to have this little game that we played together. And the, the game was that whenever there was the idea of chores in the air, whenever we kind of felt like Stacia was getting close to saying that she needed some help washing the dishes, folding the clothes, putting dishes away from the dishwasher, whenever it seemed like that question was was coming, even if we just moments before had all been sitting and laughing together in the living room, when we felt that that was coming, we would disappear. And I mean, we were masterful at hiding. And we would get out of the way and suddenly there was no one there to help and we would try and hide and stay hidden until that moment that we felt like maybe the chores had already been taken care of. Now Cam's left for college. Emery's on crutches and stuck on the couch. And I'm left to hide alone. You see, there's a way to read through this portion of Mary and Martha and feel as though maybe Martha's right. That maybe Mary was just trying to not do the chores that she didn't want to do. There's a way that we tend to think about this story and we think about Mary and Martha and we think that Martha's the responsible one. Martha's the one that's trying to get things done and Mary's just kind of the daydreamer and Mary's the one that's just not trying to do the things that need to be done. But there's nothing in our text that makes us really understand Mary to be that way. Mary was hosting Jesus as much as Martha was. Her actions were not about avoiding the work that she would typically do. It was that her focus was locked in on Jesus. He had her full attention. But it's not 
just about attention within these two moments that we read about in the Gospel of Luke. What's also present in both of them is affection. Luke actually ends up dwelling on the point of contrast between the affection of the Pharisee and the affection of the woman that was weeping at Jesus' feet. In fact, the contrast is, is pretty clear in how Luke records the words of Jesus to his host, who as a host would typically have some responsibilities to do, especially since he's the one who invited Jesus to come and have dinner with him. The J.B. Phillips translation of this text in verse 45 says this, Jesus says that there was no warmth in your greeting, talking to the Pharisee, but she, from the moment I came in, has not stopped covering my feet with kisses. And there's this contrast between this woman and the Pharisee who had invited Jesus for dinner. And the contrast is not just about the emotions of of this woman who's crying tears onto Jesus' feet. The contrast is also about the the coldness of the Pharisee toward Jesus. He had responsibilities as a host. He had routines that were part of hosting someone over for dinner, especially if you're hosting someone and you've tried to make it seem as though it's very special that they're coming to your house, and yet the Pharisee did none of it. For him, having Jesus over to his house was not anything special. In fact, it was pretty routine. And he treated it almost as a boring exercise of his evening. Now, before we dive into that danger within our own personal times of worship, there's one more similarity between these two moments. There's attention and there's affection and then kind of connected to both of those things is adoration. Concealed within the robes of this woman who interrupted a dinner party that she was never invited to, to be at the feet of Jesus, is an alabaster jar of perfume. I'm guessing here, but I, I think it's pretty clear that it's probably not something that she just normally carried around with her. That that was part of her, her normal routine. It kind of speaks back to the attention and the intention that she had even being there at the feet of Jesus that night that it was very much on purpose. She was so focused on Jesus, so not accidentally in that time and in that place to worship him that she had actually gone home. Gone home to pick up the most valuable thing that she had in her life to bring and give up for him. Now, from everything that the Pharisee says about her, it seems that she most likely didn't have a lot. An alabaster jar of perfume was a prized possession for anybody, but it was a prized possession because of its contents and because of its container. An alabaster jar of perfume didn't have a a, a twist top that you could take off and reseal later on. It didn't have a cork that you could put into it. Once you broke that thing open, it was broken for good. And this woman gave up both the contents and the container for this time of worship with Jesus. Most scholars believe that this alabaster jar of perfume was 
was something that she probably had hidden in her home. It was hidden in her home because it was put away for a special time. Maybe a time that would be her wedding day. Maybe it was a time that would be when her first child was born. Maybe it was put away for that moment when, when life kind of got to be a big struggle. And she wasn't sure that she'd be able to kind of work her way out financially of the mess that she'd found herself in and she'd at least have that as, as a safety net. Maybe it was put away for a rainy day. But whatever the reason, all of those options seemed to pale in comparison to this moment that she had to go and worship Jesus. And she used it all up because she adored him more than anything else. It was a sacrifice of comfort and safety and security that she gave up for him. What about Mary? What Mary gave was a moment of unbridled focus on Jesus and Jesus alone. I mean, even, even with the limited words that we have about Mary, if you go back and, and you read Luke chapter 10, there's not a lot that's there about Mary's actions, and yet I'm left imagining that Mary had this adoring gaze on Jesus as he was teaching her, and that he was kind of captivated, and, and, and she was caught on every single word that came out of Jesus' mouth. I can also imagine Martha. I can imagine Martha as the one who's in the kitchen kind of banging the pots and pans together a little extra than she needed to, trying to get Mary's attention. I can imagine her going and setting the table and dropping the plates into their place with hopes that Mary would turn around, maybe dropping the, 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 the flatware where it's supposed to go, maybe slamming the pitchers down on the table. You can imagine that Martha is standing right behind Mary and she's staring into the back of the head of Mary and she's saying to herself, turn around, turn around, turn around, turn around because she needs Mary to help. And my guess is that she hummed or she sang or maybe she said some things subtly and maybe not so subtly to try and get Mary to leave what she was doing and come and help her. All of that probably transpired before she ever said anything to Jesus. And yet Mary's gaze was locked on Jesus. Don't think of Mary as some daydreamer. She knew exactly what was expected of her. She knew exactly what all the clanging pots were about. She knew exactly the risk that she was taking, risking the respect and the frustration of her own sister. But her gaze was locked on her master. Jesus was there. He was there in her living room and there was nothing else in that moment that was more important. There would be no activity that would come. No distraction that could come up that was more important than her time with her Savior adoration of her king. 
And neither one of these worshipers in Luke chapter 7 or Luke chapter 10 were, were doing what they were doing to check some box off for their week. They weren't doing this as some type of scheduled reminder that popped up on their calendar that this was their time to kind of spend with Jesus. They were giving up expectations, giving up even reputations in some points so that they could be with Jesus. There were people in their life that during that moment that they were with Jesus wanted them to be somewhere else. Wanted them to be doing something else. Other people had expectations for them. And it turns out that this time that they were spending with Jesus was, in fact, a little dangerous. So here's the question for us all these years later. Beyond this moment that we spend on Sunday morning all together in this thing that we do, when it comes to this thing that you do alone, that I do alone with Jesus, how dangerous is your worship of him? When it comes to following Jesus into the difficult parts of life and into the dangerous parts and moments of life, which, which can happen at a moment's notice. We don't always know that they're coming. How much is your ongoing time with the Savior beyond this hour a factor? When you have a big decision to make, or when you feel backed into a corner and you're not sure how to get out, or, or you have a significant moment that is, that is going to happen in your life and you can see that it's on the way and maybe it's later this afternoon or maybe it's tomorrow, is Jesus involved in that moment? Do you let him into that moment? Are there times throughout your week beyond here that you give him your attention? I mean, according to your phone, according to your calendar, according to your routine, how intentional are you in the attention, the focus that you give to Jesus? I mean, do you have a place that you really feel like you connect with him? Do, do you have a time throughout your day that you really feel as though you connect with him? Or, or, or at least do you have a regular moment within your week, maybe it's not even daily, that you meet with him in worship? Just the two of you. And, and just to be clear, what happens in that moment that you spend with Jesus can be really all over the place. And we just looked at two different instances that Luke records for us, and one has a woman who is hanging on Jesus' every word as Jesus teaches her. And one is a, a, a moment where a woman breaks open her most prized possession and pours it all over Jesus' feet and just cries in his presence. Your time of worship doesn't have to have an agenda to it. But it needs to have your attention. 
What, what about affection? Now, some of us who are here don't struggle sharing our emotions and letting our emotions out. There's others of us who do. But really, this affection thing is not about whether you are a crier or not. It's not even about whether you're someone who feels comfortable raising your hand during a worship song on Sunday morning. This is about our expressions of gratitude and affection to the one who has given us the greatest gift that we have ever received. Jesus, our Savior, has given us forgiveness and grace. There's no store, there's no, there's no Amazon site, there's no place that you can go to and you can purchase grace and forgiveness. There's nothing that we could do to ever be able to afford forgiveness and grace on our own, but he gives it to us. And if he would do that for you, if he would go through what he had to go through to die on a cross excruciatingly, and he would do that for you so that you could have grace and forgiveness in your life, why would he not help you through or help you see through or comfort you through or challenge you through or encourage you through the next big stressor that you have in your life? Do we get how in love with us he is? And if we get it, do we appreciate it? Do we let him know our emotion for him? In our personal times of worship, however they look, whenever they take place, wherever they take place, does our emotion come out? Does our emotion, does our emotion show up in the, in the prayers that we pray that aren't just filled with flowery language and big words that we're trying to impress God with, but, but instead they're, they're really filled with what's actually going on in our life and what's happening inside of our heart? Do we let him in on the, the, the deepest, darkest, most difficult times in our life, the dangerous times of our life? Is he included? Do we pour out our words to him in prayer? Do we pour out our words to him in, in the things that we write in our journals? Do we pour out our, our thoughts to him as we're reading his word and trying to see how his word applies to our life? Do, 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 we, do we pour out our emotion to him when we're singing in the car all by ourselves and have those people on the side of the road who are looking at us so strangely because we're just belting it out? Does he get to hear and see our affection for him? See, affection's a two-way street, and I think as we pour out our love and our appreciation to him, we begin to recognize the affection and the love that he continues to pour out on us, and we begin to trust that he might just be interested in our next moment, too. These aren't just things that we do in private or even in public to check a box, to fulfill some requirement that just popped up on our phone. They are individual and personal moments of, of affection and appreciation for Jesus. But there are too many of us 
who come to this hour of worship that we're in right now, and we spend this hour in worship, and we chalk that up as our time of worship to our Savior. And when it comes to our schedule, everything goes gray until we come back again next week for this same moment for an hour inside this space. This is really hard to hear. But too many of us have grown very comfortable in being cold to Jesus like the Pharisee. See, the Pharisee had responsibilities as a host to warmly greet Jesus, to wash his feet as he walked in, to make it seem very special that they were even in connection together. He skipped all of that. There are too many of us who are missing out on what it means to follow Jesus in personal times of worship beyond this moment on Sunday morning. Then there's our adoration. Mary and the woman with the perfume, they, they gave up in that moment something that just allowed them to adore Jesus. And as they adored him, as the woman was pouring out the perfume and looking at this broken bottle, as, as Mary heard the clanging bots, pots happening in the background and realized that Martha was frustrated with her, I can almost sense a smile creeping across both of their faces. Because they were so delighted to give up all that they were giving up to the one that they so adored. What is it that's so special to you that you need to give it up in a moment of sacrifice and a moment of personal worship to God? Is it time? Or, or maybe more specifically, is it, is it a time? Is it a schedule? Would a sacrifice in your life be to let that flexible or that schedule that seems inflexible become flexible so that you could spend time with Jesus? Is it time spent on your phone? Is it moments that happen within your week like they happen in my week where it's just kind of a, a little spot of dead time and, and, and by default, what do you fill that with? Are you prepared to fill it with time spent with Jesus or more often than not, does it maybe even turn into a time of sin? Or is it a thing? Is it your pursuit of money or is it your pursuit of fame or is it your pursuit of acknowledgement from where you work and your career and your coworkers? Is that what needs to be given up so that through adoration you worship Jesus. Now, just to be clear, adoration is not giving something up so that you just remember that you gave it up because of Jesus. It's not about being reminded of Jesus because you're not doing that thing that you actually wish you were doing. 
It's deciding that in those moments that you choose to instead be with him. That in that moment, the most important thing that you could be doing in the whole world is spending time with the Savior. See, when it comes to the other parts of your week that that don't show up on your schedule as church time, are there times when you approach and you spend time with the one who gave absolutely everything for you? Time where you intentionally and attentively show your affection and your adoration for him beyond this moment that we're spending together right now. See, for the sake of you being the follower that you can be, for the sake of you following the leader in all that he did, it may be that it's in the most dangerous times of your life that you need to spend time with him. When it comes to that thing that you do alone with him, when it comes to that thing that I do alone with him, I'm following the lead of the one who loved more than anything to get away and spend time with his father. And when he chose to get away, don't misread this in the gospels. It was not a weak time for Jesus. It was not a meek time for Jesus. It was not down time for Jesus. And in some cases, it happened to be dangerous time. And for us, with the schedules that we keep and the speed that we let life move in, it takes attention and affection and adoration. To do this follow thing that goes beyond this hour that we spend in worship together and includes a myriad of times of worship that we get to spend at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you continue to teach us Teach us through the actions of Jesus. Teach us through the actions of those who are around Jesus. When we see how much people wanted to be around him and would risk to be around him, and we look at the the life that we have right now and the situations that we're in right now and, and how free we are to spend time if we choose to, if we would be intentional, if we would be attentive, the time that is available to us to spend with you. God, would you help us to see that freedom and not take it for granted? Would you help us to go out of our way, to be uncomfortable at times, to be even disruptive to our own schedule at times that we would spend time with you, worshiping you, adoring you, bringing our life to you and trusting that you have guidance, that you have direction, that you long to be involved with us in those moments as much as you were attentive to us on the cross. God, we thank you for Jesus.
We thank you for him as our leader. Would you help us follow him? It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me this morning. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He's not the leader of your life at this point. You're just kind of hearing about him and investigating. But maybe it's come to a point where you do want to say yes to Jesus, yes to his grace, yes to his forgiveness, yes to his leadership. And today needs to be that day and, and, and you want to be baptized today. If that's a decision that you need to make or that you want to talk about, we have folks who will be down here, down front to talk with you about that decision and we invite you to come as we sing here in just a moment. Or maybe that's a decision that you've already made and, and you recognize that we're a church that's trying to collectively lean into Jesus, follow him in everything that we do and you want to be with us in that. We'd love to have you as part of this family, as part of this community that is following Jesus. And so if that's a decision that you want to make or that you want to talk about, we encourage you to walk right down the aisles as well and talk to the folks who will be here. But for the rest of us, we have an opportunity right now to collectively, all together, corporately worship our King, our Savior, our leader. May we worship him as we sing his praise. In the quiet, in the stillness, I know that you are God. Presence, I know there I am restored. And when you call, I won't refuse each new day again. I'll choose.
Yeah. 